Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson. And our guest this week is Madeline George, a Pulitzer Prize finalist for her 2013 play, The Curious Case of the Watson Intelligence. She's now back with a new play called Hurricane Diane that mixes comedy, tragedy, and Greek mythology to take a look at the issue of climate change. It's playing at New York Theatre Workshop through March 24th. Hello, Madeline George. Welcome to Broadway Radio. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Really uh, looking forward to talking about this new play of yours because it works on so many different levels. So could you tell mm-hmm. listeners what Hurricane Diane is about? Sure. Hurricane Diane is in in a, at its fundamental level a sequel to The Bacchae by Euripides. Um, and in the play, the god Dionysus, basically after a couple thousand years of hiatus or retirement comes back to restart their mystery cult in uh, suburban New Jersey, disguised as a lesbian separatist landscape gardener. And all of this is because the ecological disaster that we've created is threatening the gods' future um, on the planet. And so they're trying to like get the the cult of, of nature going again in order to save civilization before we do ourselves in. That's as, the, it's a comedy. Can you, <laughs> as I said, it's a lot of levels. So what was the genesis of this play? The, the spark of the play, I mean, I think playwrights often tell stories like this where they suddenly come across something and it, 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 it plants a seed in their mind. And um, in, in the case of this play, I was, I was listening to the audiobook of Michael Pollan's The Botany of Desire, which is a beautiful piece of cultural criticism about um, how certain plants have co-evolved with people. And there's a chapter on apples. He writes about Johnny Appleseed, a figure that comes down to us mostly in a kind of disnified, sweet way, as a kind of like a, a friendly fellow planting apple trees across the country. And Michael Pollan points out that at the time that Johnny Appleseed was doing this, uh, apples were mainly used for hard cider. This was the best way for people to get and keep their calories was to use apples to to ferment apples. And so Pollen says, really, Johnny Appleseed was like the American Dionysus going across the countryside planting vines. And th- and I was just in that moment like, what if there were an American Dionysus? What if Dionysus did come back? Why would he do that? Why? What would it? What would it be like if if a god showed up? basically in the backyard of a suburban cul-de-sac and tried to get things going again. That was the origin of the of the idea. And then I was commissioned to write a play by John Diaz, the artistic director of Two River Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey, where I'm a playwright in residence. And I pitched this um, crazy idea to him, and he was very enthusiastic, to my surprise. And so... Um, so then I then I thought I would try to set the play in the town where the theater was located because it's a, it's a joy for audiences to see their own neighborhoods represented on stage. Um, so that's sort of how it came about. Were you always into or concerned about climate change or was it gardening or... Well, I'm a huge garden nerd, and I have done a, a lot of very um, sort of pitiful little urban uh, gardening <laughs> attempts in my life of many years living in New York City. Um, 
but it was when I started to write about Monmouth County, New Jersey, that I was like, oh, climate change is the missing piece of the story because that's a, it's a, it's a part of the country that was very severely impacted by Hurricane Sandy. Mm-hmm. And as I was thinking about what the God's purpose would be in coming into town, I thought, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Like Dionysus has a vested interest in, in our connection with the natural world and maintaining it and supporting it. And if we only were more integrated with the the natural world around us, maybe we wouldn't be so heedless, you know, in our in our exploitation of the natural resources we live among. This Dionysus, who's named Diana in your play, right. uh, comes back and interacts with four women who live in this this suburban uh, cul-de-sac, and they are very different. And I wonder what the process was, what your thinking was in shaping each character. Were you trying to have different facets of uh, womanhood, femininity? Yeah, I mean, I aside from just the shameless pursuit of jokes, which is often my most, uh, my strongest motivation when I'm writing characters, <laughs> I, I, I do feel like as I, as I sort of moved into the, into the climate change theme of the play, I, I was interested in looking at more than different aspects of womanhood, different different approaches to tolerating the knowledge that we are complicit in our own undoing at this moment. Yeah. You know, I feel like for those of us who live in, you know, for for people who have some amount of resources, for people who for people who are really integrated into, let's say, North American capitalist industrialized capitalism. We all know, we, we know what's going on. We know what's happening. We know what we're doing to ourselves. And yet we persist every day. We persist. You know, we use our electronic devices and we book air travel and we, you know, don't just take to the streets in en masse demanding a revolution to, pr- to protect the environment. And I was sort of, that was the, the thing I became most interested in. And what are the, what are the, um, the complicated dances that we do in order to, Manage uh, our our knowledge of uh, of our own complicity. Hmm. So 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 there's a there's a character in the play who is incredibly aware of of the weather and panicked about the weather and has a million different strategies for handling the the, the catastrophe that might ensue. But is this also, is this you know, the Pam character? Yeah, the Pam character who sort of she has a kind of she has sort of an archetypal like um earth goddess italian american um jersey quality and she's really concerned about protecting everybody she's reinforced her basement she has a police scanner she um she monitors the weather but she also she sort of is fortressing herself in her own resource uh demanding house and mm-hmm. suvs and stuff like that that's i feel like one way that we handle our feelings about c- climate catastrophe and then there's another character who is an editor um, at a shelter magazine and is always kind of like selling some version of sustainability that's very prettied up and knows better than to, to think that, that the, the way that she's working at her job is actually doing anything to help people become more ecologically sustainable, but then can't seem to stop because she is personally ambitious, you know, mm-hmm. um, in publishing. So like, And then there's a, a kind of an anti-hero figure who is just like, in so much pain, really, and so determined to keep herself safe from her own emotional crises that she just refuses to make compromises in, on her own in her own comforts. 
Mm-hmm. I, as I talk about this, I just feel like I'm making it sound like very grim. Uh, but it, it's not. It's no, not it's to- not grim. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot, a lot of laughs in the show. <laughs> it's very, you know, I feel a great deal of love for all of the characters, as I do for all of us stumbling around blindly, making terrible mistakes um, in our lives. And so I hope that that's where, you know, the characters come from that place. And my, my exploration of them comes from a place of sympathy and also empathy. The role of Diana seems almost tailor-made for Becca Blackwell, who plays mm-hmm. the role. And I think we should say that Becca is a trans performer who uses the pronoun they. So that's I'm, right. I'm going That's to right. uh, stick with that. So did you make the role with them in mind or did you just write the role and then said, you know, hey, they is the right person for this? <laughs> well, I did not only in mind, but I actually brought Becca into the pro- development process pretty early. When I started to work on the play with Becca, Becca hadn't yet transitioned and so was living as a butch lesbian, which is the... Uh-huh form that the god chooses to take in in the play mm-hmm. but it became really interesting to me sort of as becca and this is something that becca can talk about obviously more authentically and specifically than i ever could but working over the years we've been working on the place for about almost five years um with becca over the course of that transition is has been really has been really thrilling and really enriched the the character of Diane, who is simultaneously a kind of genderless or multi-gendered god, and also in disguise as a masculine woman, which is something that Becca really has a lot of deep uh, personal experience about, all those different facets of the character. Becca is also like an incredibly dynamic, interpersonal performer with decades of experience working a crowd. And that was a really incredibly fun um, set of skills for me to play with as I was rewriting and rewriting, particularly the monologues that they have. But, you know, I, I guess I'm curious if I should ever get a chance to see another production to see also what a different takes on the character might be. Hopefully the character is open and flexible enough it could accommodate a variety of different gender expressions inside it. I feel like this is one of the great things about this god. Dionysus is so um, multi-gendered and uh, takes so many different kinds of seemingly contradictory forms. So, you know, hopefully that's something that that is a playground for future productions, should there be any. The other uh, women, the other actresses, were, were they with you on the five-year journey as well? Were any of them there from the beginning? How did they help to shape their characters, if they were? Yeah, the, Mia Barron, who plays Carol, who is the kind of character most determined to stay ensconced in her comforts, she has been with the play for a very long time as well. And She's a kind of a, she's a genius performer who brought a kind of delicate, subtle, light, and also terrifyingly demonic uh, set of qualities to the part. Just exactly the right, very unusual mixture of, of vibrant character skills. And, and then Danielle Scrostad, who plays Pam, who we've spoken about already, and, and Kate Weatherhead, who plays Beth, we haven't talked about yet, but she, Beth is a sort of a, oddball on the um, on the cul-de-sac 
<laughs> they they and Becca were all in the play in its premiere uh, in New Jersey, along with another brilliant actress, Nikia Mathis. And then Nikia left the show and Michelle Beck came in in the role of Renee. And she has uh, shown us new facets of that character as well. So they're all, I mean, I would say that with this kind of comedy, which is so much about timing and ensemble, and it's been such an incredible privilege for me to get to work with the same actors over a long period of time shaping and smoothing and tightening these scenes that are so much about timing give and take and yeah and generosity I've read that the end of the play changed from uh, when you guys did it at Two Rivers Uh, is that so? yeah it, it, it did I mean we so the end of the play is a is a choral moment, which is very difficult to pull off. I'm finding in contemporary um, theater, <laughs> doesn't you know? The choruses are always the part where you get the most embarrassed. I think in productions, contemporary productions of Greek plays, you know, people are sort of droning along or they're moving around like crazy weirdos, and it's partly because we just don't have so many. Uh, we don't have. It's not so much a part of our civic or artistic vocabulary, this sort of choral expression. You know, we sing like the national anthem at the baseball game, but in ancient Greece, they were really like conversant with what does it mean to speak chorally? And they thought all the time about this relationship between the individual and the polis, you know, the, 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 the citizenry as a, as a whole. Anyway, I was just determined to try to figure out some way to make it work. And so we're using music. And in our production at New York City Workshop, the Bengsons, an incredible mm. duo, um, have written the music for the play. And their music, it goes all the way through the play, but it sort of comes to fruition in this final moment. In Two River, at Two River, we we wanted the, the end of the play to be very specific to that location. And it, it really was a kind of almost a, a realistic moment. And here in... in New York, we've abstracted it a little bit, and we're trying to cover a little bit broader territory and think about more, more symbolically, what is it to be in this moment of human history when we are feeling, many of us feel so acutely our love for the natural world, just as we're realizing that it's being taken from us or that we are taking it from ourselves. And that's the sort of that's the gesture that we're trying to explore in the final moment now. In a way, you're, uh, the play was kind of prescient because you you guys have been working on this for, for five years, and yet we seem right now at a real moment in, in, in 2019 where people are becoming really aware that, as in the play, yeah. we're at 11.45 and, and we don't have a lot of time left. Well, I mean, of course, there are plenty of scientists who'd be like, hello, I've been banging on about this since 1979. You know, like, it's true that we're at a tipping point, I think, in terms of um, widespread consciousness of of the urgency of the problem. And it's super exciting to me that this moment also is about... Uh, a, a turning point, I think, in our political discourse about it, where we now can talk about the Green New Deal. It's a real thing. It's no longer just uh, activists on the outside of political life being like, hello, hello, wake up, wake up. Um, now we really have a kind of centered, real, actionable thing to work on together, um, which uh, just for me couldn't be more thrilling. It's it's very exciting. and I But I do think it's also, it's true, like it's taken a long time for people to become for people who haven't, let's say, picked up 
and had to move because of flooding or had to destroy their house because of mold or um, lost their house to a fire. For those of us who haven't been so in the crosshairs, it's been it's taken a long time for people to be like, oh yeah, this is a this is everybody's problem, and it's super real. And theater seems like a really good way to take the message out and make it sort of visceral and real. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think I'm very, especially in the first production, uh, people ask me a lot, well, what do you want people to do after they see this play? In other words, do you Mm -hmm. want them to change their light bulbs? Do you want them to give up meat? What do you want them to do? And I feel like theater is not such a great vehicle for suggestions. You know, it's not really, it's a, it, you know, maybe there's there's agitprop that works well in, in certain circumstances. But for me, the real thing that theater can do is it can, you know, it can hold up a mirror to us. It can ask us to really grapple with our, basically our feelings and our conscience. So I hope that in a kind of affectionate portrayal of human beings who are doing, who are in various, various moments along that kind of grappling, it gives us a chance to kind of make contact with those things that in ourselves and it and it helps when the play is um entertaining and amusing like this one is i, I hope so. so i hope so the, what, what better use for jokes really than <laughs> well um thank you for 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 writing it for giving people this opportunity to ponder these issues and uh, and thank you for talking to us about it Oh, thank you so much for your time. I'm so delighted to be here. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com.